Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence. The adult Jesse tree continues as we look at scripture this Advent season. On the podcast today, we give you part two of a three-part series on salvation history. On this episode, we will be looking at the lives of Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and David, and we'll see how they played a crucial role in carrying out God's plan in salvation. As we strive to grow closer to Jesus this Advent season, our study of the Old Testament will hopefully help you understand why Jesus had to come in the first place. You won't want to miss it, so stay right here. Lisa, he is King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. Emmanuel, God is with us. That's what we learned last night at Handel's Messiah. Because <laughs> we'd never heard that before. <laughs> no, but it was really, it was like a, an Advent meditation. It was really fun. We got to dress up, go to the symphony, and we got like salvation history symphony-wise. It was a great overview for my upcoming final on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah, so last Christmas, my mom got us tickets to the symphony, and we just spent them last night. Yeah. And it was well worth it. It was really fun. It was. it was. If you've never seen Handel's Messiah, it's a great little Advent tradition. I don't know what you would call it. It's like it. an Advent and an Easter tradition. It is. It's both. But both are good. Both are recommended. Mm-hmm. Well, happy second Sunday of Advent, everybody. It's kind of deceiving. We lit two candles tonight, which makes you feel like, oh, we're halfway there. But really, you're a week and a day in over what could be four weeks. That's right. But next week's the pink candle, so that's exciting. Well, we are in the midst of our Salvation History series, part two our tonight. Our adult Jesse tree. That's right. That's right. Part two. We've got one more part coming up next week. And before we dive in, we wanted to do something we haven't done before. First time ever. First time ever. And we want to make a, a little invitation to you. Now, first of all, this is completely an invitation it's not pressure it's not it's an opportunity not an obligation that's right that's a way to say it there um so kevin and i we work for focus and we were thinking we've talked you know about should we do a patreon should we not and i think we've mentioned this on the podcast before and a patreon doesn't really make sense because we have what we call a support team so for the past 12 years are we in our our 11th we're in our 11th year of focus 12th year of marriage yes there we go yeah we have been fundraising our salary. We're like a Patreon full-time. We are. We're a full-time Patreon, everything we do. So what we wanted to do tonight, as it's getting towards the end of the year and you're thinking about end-of-the-year giving, and rather than set up a Patreon, we wanted to give you, so you know, an opportunity if you would like to donate and be a part of our support team. That's right. And focus. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just a chance, you know, uh, for Patreons, a lot of people, it's, you know, can you do $5 a month? $3 a month, $2 a month, anything that you just think, hey, I want to help these people keep doing what they're doing. I like the work that they do. It's just a chance to give. And that's what we're, you know, giving you an opportunity here to do as well. We just already have it set up through our support team. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll just 
And typically as missionaries, you go and you visit parishes and you do an appeal at a parish. And we thought, well, we have a podcast. So we will do an appeal to our podcast at the end of the year here. This is a big time of year um, for us as focused missionaries. This is how we... um, is how we pay our bills is is through focus and how we have for the last 10 years and people think it's a little crazy but it's so normal to us now yeah <laughs> i don't even think it's it's weird anymore i did it first for sure um they're like wait you're a catholic and you fundraise because you're a missionary like, that's right yeah that's what we do so if you are interested in that if you'd like to join our support team um what this means is you can either give a one-time gift but what most people do is they they do monthly support which helps us because then it allows us to know what's coming and to be able to pay our bills and plan around that. Um, and the best part is it's tax deductible. Oh yeah. You don't get that with Patreon. Oh nice. Yeah. 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 Cause it is a 501 C three is what you'd be supporting. So, um, to do that, if you would like to consider joining our support team, you can go to focus.org slash missionaries slash Kevin dash Cotter. And we will have that in the show notes if you want to go and join there. Um, we would love to have you join and be a part of our mission. That'd be awesome. Keep the podcast going. That'd be great. great. And also, if you just even go to focus.org and click on find a missionary, that's at the top of the page. Just type in Cotter and you'll find us pretty quickly. And uh, we'll put in the show notes as well. And if you do support a current Focus missionary, thank you. Yeah, you're the best. Thank you for that. Well, our, our show today, we're looking again at our, um, you know, adult Jesse tree, this time of Advent. And just want to start off with our saint quote to live by, which is from St. Jerome. And it's ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And so just a realization as we go through scripture, as we learn more about the Old Testament, what we're really learning about is Jesus. And that's why we're doing all this is to really understand our Lord better. And that's uh, a great thing to do during our Advent season. Yes. So give a little recap here. Last time we went from Adam to Isaac. So we have Adam enemy of the first couple and they have their son Seth and Seth uh, through his line a couple generations later Noah is born Noah has a son named Shem a couple generations later out of Shem's line is Abraham Abraham has a son named Isaac and that's where we left you off last week with Isaac so that's where we're going to start today so Isaac goes on to marry Rebecca which is probably a story we're a little bit familiar with and uh, they meet at a well which is, you know, a nice place to meet the ladies, I guess. And uh, the two of them, Isaac and Rebecca, they have twins, Jacob and Esau. Also probably something that we're somewhat familiar with. Yeah. And we probably know from Jacob and Esau, Esau is the firstborn, but then Jacob steals his blessing. Jacob means to, uh, is like deceiver. And so Jacob's name is, um, yeah, basically stealing, stealing that blessing. But I have a really fun twins story. It's, It's a story and a riddle. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. This is a true story. Okay. Is it really? Yeah. It's okay. a true story. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, twins are born. Okay. Okay. And when their birth certificates are given, the twin that came out first is listed as younger than the twin that came out second. So I'm going to say that again. Twins are born. And on their birth certificate, the twin that came out first is listed as younger than the twin that came out second. How can this be? I don't know. Some people get it really quickly and some people don't get it at all. This is not helpful while recording a podcast. Okay. Well, if you, if, if you want to think about it, pause the podcast. But the answer is 
daylight savings time. So they had the first <laughs> twin, came out, and then it, the clocks turned back. They fell back an hour. And then they had the second twin. And so the second twin, who is actually younger on its birth certificate, is listed as older than the first twin. So who, who has the birthright? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Great, because we still use birthrights here in the United States. That's right. They're very important. Yes. Well, at least the importance back then of being the firstborn was like, you're really responsible for the household. So you're really responsible for the father's house. And so you were seen as not just responsible for your own family, but actually all of your brothers and sisters and all of their families, you had this responsibility to kind of shepherd and govern. So it was a, it was a big role in their, in their custom and in their society is to kind of oversee that huge extended family. So yeah, that was, that was, um, yeah, sometimes people didn't want it because it was a it was a difficult job to have all that responsibility. In the case of Jacob and Esau, at one point in time Esau was like, oh, I don't really want my birthright, like I'll give it for, you know, some stew. And then Jacob takes it and later Esau is really mad and wants it back. So it's definitely a, a prized possession, but sometimes a, a, a big weight as well. Yeah. So here Jacob, who was born second, ends up being uh, getting kind of the uh the responsibility of the firstborn, which which he wanted. Um so Jacob then, who's kind of, uh, yeah, taken over here, he goes on to find a wife, and he meets his wife, Rachel, at a well. Oh, yeah. Those wells. I know. So ladies, Bringing if you're people single, together. Yeah. Just go find a well, and you might find a guy. Uh, so <laughs> Jacob and Rachel go on, and, um, oh, no, not yet. Uh, Jacob goes on to find his what? Well, he's he's got a crush on Rachel. Let's back this up here. He's got a crush on Rachel, so he goes to Laban, Rachel's dad, and he's like, "Can I marry her?" And Laban's dad says, "Yeah, sure. Just work for me for seven years." Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like a stink deal, but he's really got a big crush on Rachel, so he does. Then Laban tricks him on the night of the wedding and gives him Leah, his other daughter, instead. So Jacob accidentally marries Leah. And Leah wasn't that great of looking person. So Jacob was kind of surprised. And so Jacob gets mad and he's like, hey, what the heck? And Laban's like, I don't know about how it works in your land, but the oldest is preferred in our country. So, so Leah was the oldest and Rachel was not. And so it's kind of this kind of stab at Jacob, who is not the oldest and saying, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how it works in your country, but in our country, the oldest takes precedent. Yeah, when it's an interesting play there, too, because here Jacob tricks Esau earlier, and now he's being tricked by Laban. The, the deceiver gets deceived. That's true. He gets Jacobed. <laughs> Jacob. That's like, yeah, that's, that's how that word would be, yeah. Is that a real, like, slang word? Well, yeah, because it means, like, he gets deceived. That Jacob means deceived, so, like, he gets Jacobed. Oh, we yeah. should start using that in our everyday language more. When we deceive each other? <laughs> no. <laughs> when... We, yeah, let's deceive each other more and be able to use that. That'd be good. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, so finally he says, so Jacob's like, well, I still want to marry Rachel. So Laban says, great, work for me for seven more years. So finally he gets to marry Rachel. Okay, so now Jacob is married to sisters, which was normal back then, and I'm really glad it's not normal now. And between the two of them, between Rachel and Leah, and two of their concubines, which was also something they used to do back then, which I'm glad we don't do now. Jacob ends up with 12 sons, which is kind of a lot of kids. Out of four wives. It's just kind of weird. Yep. And this is kind of a part of the story where probably we all know very well is one of these sons 
Joseph, who's the second youngest son, is favored. And Joseph had these dreams early on about his brothers, like basically worshiping him and his brothers get really mad. And so they eventually, um, they know he's favored. He gets the technically coat from his dad. Um, and so they're all jealous because he's the second youngest. He's supposed to be like dirt in the family, you know? So he's so far down the totem pole, but he's this but honored But he's Rachel's son. firstborn son. Yeah. Who, yeah, Jacob loves. Jacob likes Rachel best, so. Yeah. So it's this uh, big fight in the family and eventually they sell him. They wanted to kill him, but they end up selling him into sal- slavery, lying to their dad that he died. And then Joseph goes down into Egypt. Um, eventually through a series of events, it's one of the best stories. I think the old Testament is the story of Joseph and one of the best, um, Broadway musicals. Yeah. Bro- yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there's a reason. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story and we don't have time to go through it. Uh, now all the details and the twists and turns, but I think a lot of it, people don't always realize exactly what's going on in the Joseph story and how he's, um, yeah, how he's basically getting back at his brothers who sold him into slavery, but also, um, reuniting with them as well. So, um, basically a famine strikes the land. Um, the dreams that Joseph have come true. So his brothers have to come down and like bow down before him because Joseph through a series of events rises up from being a prisoner um, into the second in command in Egypt and finds a way to save um, Egypt through the famine. And so Egypt has food and um, Joseph's sons, sorry, Joseph's brothers have to beg for it. And then eventually um, they have to move down into Egypt. And that's how all of uh, the Israelites end up in Egypt. Yeah. So they were in the promised land where they were supposed to be, that land that Abraham had been promised. And then because of this famine, they all end up in Egypt with their brother Joseph, where Joseph, because of his ranking and status in the Egyptian system, court, or whatever you call it, um, can take care of them. So here they are. They're in Egypt. Um, But before we move on, I want to get a few terms straight. This is, yeah, I'm excited for this. Go for it. Yes. So this was a lot of stuff that I learned in my class that was just helpful to me. I think it might be helpful for you too, podcast listeners. So first of all, we talk about these 12 tribes of Israel. And at some point, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. So the 12 tribes of Israel are Jacob's 12 sons. And it's, it's changed when he wrestles with the angel. Yes. There you go. Yep. Yeah. So we've got these 12 tribes. And how we get 12, which it seems like, oh, isn't it obvious? There's 12 sons. So there's one tribe for each son. But actually, there's kind of a twist to it. So Levi, one of the sons, is not included in the 12 tribes. And we'll explain that when we get to Moses a little bit. Yep. And Joseph is actually not one of the tribes either, because instead of Levi and Joseph, two of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, each get a tribe. Mm-hmm. So we have these 12 tribes, and then there's also Levi, but Joseph gets two. So it's just a little confusing. So that's, that's what 12 tribes are. The second thing that's important to kind of understand about terms and what's going on here is this Judah. So Judah is the fourth son of Jacob. And he's the one who the bloodline of Jesus comes through. So if we're following from Isaac, you know, we go from Isaac to Jacob. And then from Jacob, really, we go to Judah. That's Mm -hmm. who's going to, Jesus's um, family history line is going to go from. And this is where we get the term Jews from, because it's a shortened term of Judah. It's just that first part, Judah, just Judah, Jew. Right. Okay, we all get it. And then also we hear God's people. The promised people called Israelites, which comes from Jacob's new name, Israel. And then we have this third term that we hear them called, and that's Hebrews. And it's like, wait, so they're Jews, they're Israelites, they're Hebrews. And the answer is yes. They're all these different names, just depending on how you're talking about them. And Hebrews comes from Eber, 
which this one's even more bizarre. You're like, what? Really? Why? So Eber is the great grandson of Noah's son, Shem. Right? Okay. So we're all keeping track at home, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. And so when the Hebrews, um, when we hear that term Hebrew, it's when the Jews are identifying themselves to the Gentiles, they call themselves Hebrews. Yep. So that's why in a minute here, we're going to get to Moses and they call them the Hebrews because they're interacting with Gentiles. So they call themselves the Hebrews, meaning that they're coming from this, the, the line of Eber is how they identify themselves. And they love to make coffee. He, oh gosh. <laughs> Sorry. It just, I couldn't help myself. So let's do a review. We'll move on from that bad pun really quickly. Wait, is Reuben one of the 12 tribes? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the 12 sons. Yes. Yes. And he liked to make sandwiches. That's even worse pun. Okay, so we have three groups. So first we have Jacob. This is Jacob's super important. Jacob is changed to Israel because he wrestles with an angel. And Israel means to wrestle with, which I think is just really cool. Israel means to wrestle with God. And you see that all throughout the Old Testament. So then you have all these people that come from Jacob, the 12 tribes. They're Israelites. Or they can also be called Hebrews. So Hebrews are only used for when you're talking to Gentiles. So Hebrews or Israelites, same thing. And then you have Jews that come from the tribe of Judah. So all of the Jews are Israelites or Hebrews, but not all the Israelites or Hebrews are Jews because the Jews just come from one of those tribes, which is Judah. And well, again, we'll talk about yeah, this a little more. Yeah, and it'll more. make more sense as we yeah. go along. But those terms, yeah, because you hear them thrown out all the different, all, all different times, but it's, it's helpful to know what the heck's going on. Good. So moving on from here, Jacob and his sons come down to Egypt and they actually stay in Egypt for 400 years. Jacob and his sons have lots and lots of kids and it gets to a point where the Pharaoh doesn't remember the story of Joseph or Jacob anymore. I should say Joseph anymore who helped and saved Egypt. He's like, why do we have all of these Hebrews? These Hebrews are populating the, the land. And so, um, Basically, it gets to a point where they start to do population control, and they're trying to cut down on these uh, Hebrews. And in the midst of this, as they're trying to kill these Hebrew children, Moses is born. Um, Moses is from the tribe of Levi, so he's not in the line of Judah, so he's not related to Jesus. And um, yeah, the, the common story we know, he's put in a basket, put down the Nile, Pharaoh's daughter uh, draws him out of the Nile. And that's actually how he gets his name. Moses or Moshi means to draw out because they drew him out of the water. And this will have another symbolism because he's going to draw his people out of Egypt as well um, as, as Moses. So um, yeah, eventually he grows up in the Egyptian court. He realizes his people are being mistreated and he kills an, uh, an Egyptian out of anger and then flees the land. Yeah, so he goes to this place called Midian, um, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia. I always, when I think Midian, I always think of, like, Star Wars, like the Midianites. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I always think, like, yeah, those guys in the desert who... The stormtroopers? No, no, not the stormtroopers. It's the, the dudes with the hoods, and you can't, like, see their faces. And whenever they're out in the desert, and they, like, have their, they like capture the robots and stuff. Yeah, y- you don't know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. I, somebody I, does. Somebody does. Somebody does. All right, so he's in Midian because he's fleed, and this is where he meets his wife. I love her name, Zephora, which yeah. sounds like that makeup line. Yeah, but Lisa, where does he meet Zephora? Oh, at a well. That's right. Yeah, I'm telling you ladies, find a well and you'll find a man. Or somebody needs to start a bar and call it The Well. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. A Jewish bar called The Well. That'd be great. That'd be so smart. It would be. It'd be brilliant. Yep. So he I'd lives be great there. at Jewish marketing. You would. You really would. Yep. Okay, so he lives there for 40 years, which I think a lot of times when we see these these great classic versions that retell the story, you know, Prince of Egypt from Disney and Charleston Heston's The Ten Commandments, right? I, let my people go. Let my people go. We often think, like, he kills the Egyptian and then he gets the Ten Commandments. But there's 40 years pass when he's in Midian. And he, he's married and, and he's out shepherding his sheep because he needs a job now. And that's when he sees the burning bush for the first time when God comes to him in the burning bush. And of course we know God tells him, okay, I'm appointing you to free my people. And Moses says, no, I can't do it. That's, I'm not eloquent. And so God finally says, fine, Aaron can be the spokesman for me. And they go back to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says no. And he hardens his heart. And so the 10 plagues come and, um, the 10 plagues, what's interesting about those is really each plague is going after a different Egyptian God and showing, no, the one true God is bigger than this Egyptian God. Like you think a frog is a God? Well, watch this. My God's going to smash all the frogs and kill, mm-hmm. you know, like send them down and, and plague you with them. And, and, and the whole message of Exodus is ultimately that the Jewish people are in Egypt. I should say the Israelites are in Egypt and they're enslaved in physical slavery, which is bad, but more so they're enslaved in spiritual slavery. They're not able to worship God. And so the original quest to come out of Egypt is actually, can we just take a three-day retreat into the wilderness and have sacrifices to God? That's actually the original quest. It's not, can we be freed of slavery? And so it's really this whole idea of they needed to be free out of Egypt so that they could worship Yahweh once again. Right. So over and over again, plague, 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 plague. Pharaoh says no. And finally, we culminate with the last plague, which sent, you know, the angel of death comes, kills the firstborn son, except for those who have the blood of the lamb over the door. First Passover. Finally, Pharaoh says, I'm tired of this. Get out of here. They go. They cross the Red Sea. And then they're in the desert and kind of wandering around and they need food. So God says manna, which is an awesome foreshadowing of the Eucharist, how God's going to provide this bread from heaven for us. And, um, and my favorite part about manna is that it means, what is it? Mana. So they get this thing and they're like, what is it? I don't even know. And that's the whole name. That's my, that's my favorite. That's what they name it. What is it? My favorite is when Jeff Cavins makes jokes about manana bread <laughs> and manicotti. <laughs> And all of those fun things. All right. So here they are. Now they're in the desert. And um, it's at this point then that God and Moses begin to dialogue more often. And God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. That's right. So God gives the people, including Moses, the Ten Commandments verbally. And then Moses goes up onto the mountain to get them written on stone. And he goes up there for 40 days. And when Moses comes down, uh, that's when the the, the Israelites have the golden calf, and it's one of my favorite lines in all scripture is Moses goes down to his brother Aaron, who's this leader along with them, and he's like, what happened? He's like, these people, they gave me their gold. We put it in the fire, and out came a golden calf. Like, I don't know what happened. Oops. Like, I don't. Like, <laughs> we just, accidentally made they an just, Egyptian it just, god. It just came out of the fire like this. I, I don't think he bought that from his brother. Um, so this is, this is a really climactic point in the Exodus story. Because it's at this point in time that everything changes. God has the Israelites on this path to really get out of the desert in about two years and enter into the promised land. But because 
um, they have this covenant with them. And right before this, they, they swear a covenant with God um, to follow the law. And then they completely break that covenant. And because of that, God has to really intervene in a really huge way. Yeah, so they, with the covenants, Kev, can you walk through really quickly kind of the widening of the covenants just so uh, yeah, we can yeah. kind of get a view of where we went, where we came from? Yeah, the way it's most usually explained, yeah, we start with Adam, which is one couple. So God makes his, his covenant with them. And then it expands to um, Noah and his family. So then that's one family. So it grows from a couple to a family. And then it goes on to Abraham, which is seen as one tribe. And then eventually now with Moses to one nation. So this whole nation of Israel is swearing a covenant with God. Right. So basically what they're saying is, okay, you're going to be our God and we're going to be your people. And we're going to be in this covenantal relationship together. And God keeps expanding who is invited into that relationship. Yeah. And that's why the golden calf is such a big um, thing. Some, some um, like Jewish scholars throughout history have called it the second fall is because God brought his people out of Egypt to think about all the signs and wonders that they saw, all the food that they provided, uh, the law that was given. And then, and then right after that, they, you know, they commit apostasy. They actually divorce themselves from their faith. They worship another God. And so because of this really drastic things happen. Uh, so a few things happen. One is that the tribe of Levi doesn't participate in the golden calf apostasy. And so um, because of that, they're seen as this, this people who are continuing to be holy and they become the priests over Israel before the father of every single house was the priest. And so when we have um, the lamb at the Passover, it's not, they don't, you, there's no priesthood. It's the father who's the priest of his household who's sacrificing that lamb. But now because of this sin, they say, no, we, we're going to actually separate the priesthood into those who didn't fall away, who didn't commit apostasy and give that to, to the Levites. Um, and there's some additional rules. That's why we get uh, Deuteronomy. It's the second telling of the law and more rules and more law is added. And it's a little bit like as parents, when you have rules for your kids and when they're obedient, those rules get really simple, right? It's not really hard. Be nice to one another. Speak kindly. Be respectful, right? But when kids start messing up, when they start doing things, and you have to add rules to it. All of a sudden, instead of respect your mom, it's, hey, after your mom tells you to do something, I want you to say, yes, mom, right? Or I need you to say sorry. Or I need you, like we add more things. And God, as our father in this situation, is adding more laws to protect his people and to help them become holy because the simple 10 laws he gave them in the 10 commandments didn't work. So he has to add more and more to it. Right. Yeah. And the laws ultimately are about making the people holy. It's not just because God thinks it's funny to say you can't eat pigs, right? He's trying to make them holy throughout the process. Yeah. No bacon. That's real. That's hard. (laughs) And because of this too, um, God's basically saying, all right, you're not going to enter into the promised land for what you did. And so your children will, but this adult generation is, won't be able to experience my promised land. And that's why they have to water, wander the desert for 40 years until that generation dies. Yeah. So that's where we find them is they're out in the desert for 40 years and they're just kind of waiting, but God still wants to be with them, even though, you know, he's in a covenant with them. And even though they've sinned and, um, he still wants to have a way to be with them, which is the whole point of salvation history. It's the story of God trying to find a way to be with his people again, because originally his plan, they were in the garden and they walked together and, and God and Adam and Eve were, were intimate in that way. And sin came into the world and separated them. So God's trying to come back so that he can then be in a relationship with them again. And so he's doing this, um, 
So in this process, then they set up a tabernacle because God still wants to be present with them. And that's where this tabernacle, this, this, it's this tent, it's kind of a temporary temple until they can get to the promised land to build an actual permanent house for God. So they've got this tabernacle and that's where God would dwell. That's where they kept the 10 commandments, kind of their holy, like items. Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones type stuff. All the stuff Indiana Jones <laughs> was trying to find basically. <laughs> well, Indiana Jones was trying to find the Ark of the Covenant, uh-huh. which I think most people think the 10 commands were in there, but also 10 commandments. You have Aaron's rod, you have manna, God's presence is in there, but he's also mm-hmm. trying to find the, uh, the Holy Grail. Yeah. There's no Holy Grail. There's there. no Holy Grail. It wasn't there, there yet. Yeah. So I just wanted to, or, or the alien in Indiana, the fourth <laughs> Indiana Jones also was not in the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> no, that's true. Just want to make that. I just want to make that yeah, clear. I don't want to say anything confused. wrong they on this podcast. Aliens in the ark, anyway. Yeah, easy mistake. It would have been an easy mistake to make. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so we've got this priesthood set up with Levi, and Aaron is made the first high priest. So he's kind of like a pope figure, um, and he's he's the first one who's kind of leading the rest of the priests. He's the high priest, right? And the confusion here, at least that I had for a long time, was okay. So if there were priests in the Old Testament. And as Christians or Catholics, we have priests. Like, where are the Jewish priests now? And the answer is because there is no temple now because mm-hmm. the temple was destroyed after um, Jesus died. And so without a temple, there's no, there's no high priest. There's no priesthood. So the Jews no longer have priests because there's no temple. That's right. Yeah. So we do see... At the time of Jesus, they talk about the high priest. We hear in the Gospels about the high priest, and that's who they're talking about. So this is the direct line of Aaron going from Aaron, his line, all the way up to the current high priest of Jesus' time is from that same bloodline there. Great. So as we continue the story, um, Moses is with his people in the desert. He writes Deuteronomy. He writes Leviticus. So again, Deuteronomy is that second telling of the law. Um, Nomos means law. Deutero means second. Uh, and then Leviticus is this whole book of rules for his priests to keep everything holy. So again, this whole idea of, you know, making the people set apart and helping them be holy uh, and adding uh, rules to help them do that. Eventually, uh, Moses, as he's leading the people, they ask for water at one point in time. He strikes the rock twice. Uh, and it's kind of a this scene of disobedience of like Moses not fully trusting in God. Because God tells him just to, like, speak, right? Yeah. He's like, just speak and the water will flow. And Moses is like, look how cool I am. Bangs on the rock twice. Yeah. And so then Moses can't enter the promised land. And so eventually Joshua is going to take over for Moses. And there's a story as they come up to the promised land. uh, Twelve spies are sent to scope out the promised land. And when they get back, ten of the spies are like, the people are giants. There's no way we can defeat them. We shouldn't do this. Like, Bad idea. But the land is flowing with milk and honey. That's right. And awesome grapes. And Joshua and Caleb come back and they're like, you're right. All the people are really big, but we can do this. Like God has told us that we can conquer this land. And so even though um, there are people that are really big, it is in fact the promised land and we should take it. And one of our friends has two sons and their names are Joshua and Caleb. And it's just <laughs> the best that they named their sons Joshua. I just love it. It's it's awesome and it's just a good um it's fun yeah that they're faithful so uh spies are sent in and they also meet with uh rahab the harlot um and she hides them they're in the promised land as they're scoping it out and in return for hiding them uh, they promise to spare her when they later come back to conquer the land uh rahab marries solomon who's from the tribe of judah um 
And eventually this is going to be Jesus's line. And so when we look at past genealogies of Jesus, Rahab, who's a, a harlot, is listed in Jesus' genealogy, which yeah, is just pretty, grafted in there. pretty amazing. Yeah, Yeah, and Solomon, not Solomon the king later, yeah, not yeah, to yeah. be confused. Yeah, that's good. Or confused with the ski. Anyways, <laughs> no, uh, no, there's a, I feel like there's a ski company that's, anyways, it's neither here nor there. So they march around Jericho, the walls fall down, and they've entered the promised land. And this is a story we love telling to our kids too. The story of, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. It's Josh and the big wall, a great veggie tale story. Those French peas are my favorite. They and drop Slurpees, don't they? I on, over the don't wall? remember quite that much details, but their accents are spot on. Yeah, really good. Yeah, so here we have finally they're back into the promised land. After all these years, they've been gone since the time of Jacob. And I, I think I, when I would hear the story of Josh, Joshua and the wall, right, and Jericho, I was like, oh, great, like Jericho's the promised land. <laughs> they've, they've done it. But really, Jericho is just one of many, many, many cities that they need to go back and reconquer and need to take back in order to have control of the promised land again. So Jericho is just the first. They conquer that. It kind of gives them the confidence that they can do this. They can take back their promised land. So they start in the south and they start conquering, you know, the, the cities, the countries. And then they move to the north and God grants them victory in all of this. And so finally they've, they've kind of, um, they've conquered the land. They've conquered the people. So they divide the land up between the 12 tribes. So again, Levi, not a part of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, these are the priests, they actually don't get a plot of land because they are the priests and their job is to minister to the people. And so they're kind of scattered throughout the 12 tribes there being the ones who are ministering. But Lisa, if they don't have land and, and they can't get crops, how are they supposed to support themselves? Oh, yes. Well, this is where the temple tithe comes in or That's different right. tithes. You have to then give money to the treasury, the temple treasury, mm -hmm. which then goes out to the priests to support them. Yep. That's which right. is a, which is pretty similar to how we do it now. We give tithes at church, and that's what our priests live off of as Catholics. So, or sometimes as missionaries, what we live off as well. That's true. Yep, that's true. Way to bring that back. <laughs> All right, so so they've conquered the land. They divide it out between these twelve tribes, and they're supposed to then occupy this land and settle it. But what happens is they never really get around to it. They kind of like quasi do, and some have more success than others. Judah does a pretty good job of occupying its own land but uh, for the most part they kind of twiddle their thumbs and and it's about this time Joshua dies and the Israelites are left without a leader which really that should be okay because ultimately God is supposed to be their king he's supposed to be the one who who leads them and provides for them and they're in a covenant with them um, but here they are without a leader and so rather than being set apart and making the rest of the nations holy they kind of assimilate into the people around them into, into the pagan nations that they're surrounded by. And so rather than worshiping God, they kind of start to cheat on him in a way, like mm -hmm. not in a way they do, they cheat on him. They start, they start worshiping these false gods. And so they have this cycle that, that rises up. And this is where we get into this, this era of the judges, the time of the judges. So they don't have a King yet. They don't really have a leader, a clear leader. I mean, they have the high priest, um, but this cycle of sin starts. So they, they fall into worshiping these false gods, mainly Baal, or I don't know how you want to pronounce it. There's different ways of pronouncing it. He's kind of the, the biggest uh, of the gods that they, they go and they worship all. And then because of their sin, they find themselves in battling and with, with, an, with these people who they're supposed to have conquered. And so they cry out to God and they're like, oh, but they're, they're fighting us. And they're being mean, right? So then God sends a judge and the judge comes to save them and remind them like, 
you're being wicked. You need to repent. You need to turn back to God. And so they do that, and then they forget about God again. And then this cycle repeats, and then they go back to worshiping these false gods. So we just go through this cycle over and over and over again. This is the period of the Judges, the book of the Judges in the Old Testament. And some of the Judges are good. Some of the Judges are really bad. Uh, some of the more famous ones would be Gideon. Gideon's a great judge. He's the one who God sends him off to go into battle with um, some of the people uh, who they're fighting with. And, and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to dwindle your, your army down just to, isn't it like the guys who drink water like dogs? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, like, they're like, the ones that lap it up. Yeah. Those are on your team. He's like, okay, <laughs> that sounds great. And that's it. Just just the dog lappers are yep. going to be on your team. And, and they, they win. It's fine. Uh, Deborah, one of the females, a great judge. Um, just, God's hilarious. He is hilarious. Yeah. And then Samson, of course. Samson and Delilah. Uh, everybody loves the story about Samson getting his hair cut off by Delilah. And then he loses his strength. And then he regains his strength and pulls the pillars down and kills everybody. It's great. So there's yeah. the judges. That's great. So this goes on for a while, and then we have our last judge, who is Samuel, who, you know, the Here I Am passage that's produced one of the worst Catholic songs in English <laughs> of all time that I won't even sing. Somehow. We don't want to get it in your head. No, I will, because it's been sung to you 800 times somehow. Um, but anyways, you we just can't blame Samuel for that. Heart. What's that? That you just broke some musician's heart who plays that, and that's her favorite song. I'm okay with that. Um, good. So the people are like, hey, we need a king. And God's like, I thought I was your king. Like, you don't need a king. They're like, we want to be like all the other nations. Again, this is a problem throughout all the Old Testament. Israelites want to be like all the other nations. And just like all the other nations who have kings, they want a king as well. And so, okay, well, we're going to give you a king. And so the first king is, of course, King David. Wrong. Wrong answer. It's King Saul. Saul first, yeah. We always forget Saul because we just think King David, but it's actually yeah. Saul. And so Saul... And Saul's kind of a psychopath. Yeah, it starts out well, like he's a head taller than everybody. He's really handsome. <laughs> so uh, physically, he's doing really well. Physically he great. He makes for a great he, king. I mean, he had everything going for him. But then he does, in fact, go... Yeah, it goes astray. So Saul conquers a land. And he's supposed to sacrifice the first fruits, and instead he doesn't. And so Samuel has to correct him, and then... Uh, David comes in the picture and David starts playing heart for, for Saul. And that's kind of good. And this is the David who kills Goliath. That's right. Same yeah. one. Because yeah. And like, yeah, David kills Goliath. And then David starts conquering people and people are like, Oh, like Saul's killed 5,000, but D David's killed 10,000. And so Saul gets jealous. And so there's this feud that goes on and Saul begins trying to kill David and David escapes and one point in time David can kill Saul, but he decides not to. Instead, he like cuts off a piece of his clothes while he's going to the bathroom in a cave. And then later on, he's like, see, I could have killed you, but then I didn't. That's a great while story. While you're doing your business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a great, what a great thing. He's like a ninja. Um, but eventually David becomes king. Um, and David is of course a shepherd boy. So it's just another example of God using people that you normally wouldn't think um, you know, whether it's Rahab a harlot or David, who's a shepherd boy, but he uses those people to, to ultimately carry out his plan. And there's an important part about David um, when it comes to Jesus's genealogy. Um, yeah. Because David, he's the son of Jesse, and they are from the tribe of Judah. So kind of the continuation of the line here. There's a couple things that, that a couple people that happen like Rahab, um, and then we also have um, 
Ruth? Yeah, doesn't Ruth? Ruth marries Obed. Boaz? Boaz, there we go, yeah. Yeah. They're in, lo- they're in the line. Okay, so eventually then we lead up here to Jesse, who's in this line here, following this continuation line. And then he has a son of David. And so that's where the Jesse tree comes from. That's right. Is from David's dad, Jesse. So we're talking about, you know, this, um, this root shall spring up from the, the root of Jesse. And we'll kind of explain what that means a little bit later when we get to that with exile and stuff. But that's, that's where, um, so David is in the bloodline of Jesus as we go along here. That's right. And as we're going through salvation history, one of the kind of a big picture moment is just going back. We noted that with God's promises and covenant to Abraham, he made three promises. One for was for land, one for king, and one for a worldwide blessing. So as we've gone through this experience, we've seen that land, they've actually entered the promised land. So that covenant he made with Abraham came true with the Mosaic covenant. And then that covenant he made with Abraham about his descendants being a king came true with David. And so God's going to swear a covenant with David and be in the land and everything seems like it's going really well. And the covenant's just widened again. That's right. To, to a kingdom, not just a nation, but actual kingdom, which is bigger than a nation. Right. Great. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, well we're 10 minutes over. Yeah. But we're still going to do a how to challenge. Gosh, darn it. And our how to, how to challenges were in the Advent season. And I just reminded last night with Handel's Messiah and, and just all the readings with Advent is really this idea of kingship and trying to really grapple with, is Jesus the Lord of our lives? Is he really the Messiah who came? And Messiah ultimately means king. Lord is a, is a kingly title. And so just really asking ourselves, is Jesus king of our lives? And I think it's great to take some time in prayer to read over the daily readings and just really soak in the rich readings from the Old Testament about this promised king and all these great promises about Jesus and just ask ourselves, is this, is he that in my life today? Do I think of, of him in those ways and in the ways that the prophets longed for him to come? He is that person. The question is, do I treat him as such? And it, just to take some time to do that for our how-to challenge. Fantastic. All right. So we're ending here with David today, but in part three of our salvation history. And I think this is really where everybody starts to lose it. It's like, okay, David, and then Jesus, like what happens between David and Jesus? And that is what we're going to talk about next time. And there's a ton that goes on. So I'm really excited to be able to break that open for y'all. So that's our show for today. Thank you for listening in. I hope you're enjoying this as much as we are. And uh, thanks for yeah, sticking around here as we go over our normal time allotment. But I hope that it was worth it. If you want to connect with us, our email is hello at made to magnify.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin R. Cotter or Lisa Ann Cotter. That's Ann with no E. As always, if you enjoyed the show today, please give it a rating on iTunes, add it to your podcast subscriptions, and let your friends and family know about it because it helps us get the word out about How to Catholic. Until next week, be saints. It's worth it.